Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step -step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. The ultimate goal of why we force fish him anyway. We want this is a cooperation thing. I want that dog to work for me and to have that dog go out, recover that whatever that game is, come up and sit right in front of me and look up at me and just be like eye contact, like here you go, Dad. Here it is. You know that it's just it just warms my heart. Have you ever shot a bird that just keeps on flying and you're standing there saying, I swear I hit that bird? Well, good news. Maybe it might not be you, but rather your shotgun. Go check out UplandGunCompany.com and construct the perfect shotgun that is not only built to your exact physical specifications, but your preferred looks as well. To some people, a shotgun not only has to perform, but look good while doing it also. Upland Gun Company has made this process super convenient and surprisingly affordable when you consider all of the completely customizable features. Get your shotgun order submitted today so you're standing there with your dog saying fetch rather than standing there still saying, I couldn't have missed that bird. Last fall, I made the change to a Final Rise Summit System vest and was blown away with not only the customization and durability, but the overall functionality. I can honestly say my setup directly impacted how many miles I cover because the design eliminates shoulder fatigue and discomfort while still providing the perfect amount of storage. I appreciate the waist belt design so much that in the training season I removed the straps and swapped the game bag out for the sidekick system game bag and I now have the perfect training belt set up for the long and hot training season. Go to finalrise.com and check out all the available options that are all source and sewn right here in the USA. Alright Scott, we're here for the perfect finish on this force fetch series so i can't think of anything better honestly <laughs> the perfect finish six six weeks six weeks so far uh yes so when this comes out it's this will be the seventh and, and final force fetch episode of the series do you think we'll get any more questions i don't we shouldn't <laughs> we've beat it to death so so I, the the really the only thing that we haven't touched on in this series so far is the finish the handoff yep. so we're going to talk on that and then we're going to do some questions at the end we we're thinking about doing a completely separate q a uh, episode or or zoom room or something and if there is enough questions left we might entertain you know a zoom room or yep. something 
But when I put it out the other day asking for questions, man, we got very little questions. You and did the, a good job. Then, <laughs> you did a really good job. I, it's one of those to where before I did this series, it was almost every listener that was reaching out with questions or asking for advice. It right. was to do with force fetch. Threw this out there, and I'm like, all right, something in this series is going to answer your questions. Yep. And fortunately, it seems like that's the case because we only got a handful of questions, and it, Pretty much all of them were on kind of the same topic or two. So we'll get to those at the end of this. But yep. uh, I, I think, I mean, what have you thought about the series so far? I'll tell you what. Um, I don't, I, as long as I've been doing this, I haven't seen a more comprehensive collaboration of uh, individuals come together and put their information out individually. But it's like we were talking about earlier, it all boils down to the same thing. It all boils down to what your goals and your requirements are out of that dog. Mm-hmm. And I, I know there was not one single episode that basically said, you know, from step to step, from step in, you know, excruciating detail. But you got to hear from a lot of people that have been doing this a long time and been successful at it. Mm-hmm. And not just from the versatile world. You heard from some lab people. You heard from individuals that work dogs in in multiple of different tests and and testing venues whether it was navda or the akc field trial and, and retriever trials and stuff like that um but it still boils down to what force fetch is and you covered that really kind of in your first or two second episode was it is a it's a training session where you are one going to build a bond with your dog and this is one of the very first to me, um, and I've heard this multiple times across your episodes, was it's the first time that you're going to take your young dog or your dog and formally kind of teach it how to learn and and, and how how you're going to progress further on onto some of this other stuff. So it was it was just. Uh, it was great, honestly. I mean, even me, as long as I've been doing this, you know, we talked on the phone and stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gleaning on the stuff that Kyle was saying and that, you know, Mark and Martha were saying and Bob. Yeah. Good <laughs> Bob, when you listen to this, I saw, I apologize if you want royalties, but there's a bunch of catchphrases you use <laughs> I'm going to steal. Well, that's what old Uncle Bob's known for is his catchphrases. But, you know, I, I kind of floated this idea to you last year on the Force Fetch series, yeah. and, and I was kind of organizing it and had everybody lined up. Similar episodes, had a few couple different people here and there plugged in, and we were going to do it last year, but then it got into hunting season. And yep. I'm like, nobody's worried about Force Fetch during hunting season, or shouldn't be, at right. least. Like, you know, so I put it off, and I'm glad I did, because I, I hit this, I can't tell you how many times somebody hit me up like, man, this is perfect timing. I'm just starting, or I'm just hitting it. I'm like, that's exactly why we held off and did it. And and, and again, I hope that the, the slow response on questions is a testament to we really beat this dead horse to where... Well, I think what you're going to see is you've really invigorated a lot of listeners probably to start this, down this path on their own. And you might not have the questions right now, but probably yeah, in about 60 true. days, about 60 to 90 days, they're <laughs> going to start trickling in or the floodgates are going to open and oh my God, I started doing this or I started doing that and and my dog's reacting like this. What should I do and stuff? And, um, 
you know, it, it, I think we've all said it up before. I think Nick's pretty accessible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, probably it, to a fault. Uh, yeah, and so this is probably the main reason. So, like, people ask Forrest Fetch questions a lot, and it's not that I don't mind talking Forrest Fetch. I can't remember who, which guest it was that was talking about how, like, Forrest Fetch is one of those topics, it's not a quick discussion. No, it's not. And so every time somebody... And there's not a quick fix. No, and there's not a quick fix. So like for when people reach out and ask questions on Force Fetch, number one, I'm not a pro trainer. So I, I precede everything like all... Oh, uh, wait, 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 wait. What? According to Bob's definition, oh. his quote, <laughs> you might be a pro trainer, Nick. Yeah, <laughs> we'll come back to that. But, you know, it's like people ask these questions and... I, I just want to tell everybody what works for me because I, right. I don't want to be in the position of me advising people. You know, I just want the information to be out there from you guys and just everybody kind of come together and, and train their own dog in front of themselves, not based on how I did it, but based on their understanding of the concepts and their right. goals. And so the hard part is, is when somebody asks a question, they think it's a quick one. Like, Hey, how do I get my dog to stop, stop chomping? And it's like, well, where are you at in force fetch? And then it's this hour, two hour long conversation to find out where they're at, how they got to there. And then you find the hole and it just, it takes a lot of time to unwrap that stuff. And that's why it's just like, hopefully the, this series really answers 90 something percent of the questions that come from force fetch. And it will, but I think, you know, and I heard this a couple of times, um, and I can't remember who exactly, either Mark or uh, Kyle, uh, I think even Mark Whalen, Mark and Martha. If you're scared about this, okay, and, and I look at force fetch a lot like almost when you're picking your first puppy. <laughs> yeah, I can Me see that already. Me meaning that, okay, everybody, a lot of these pro trainers and everybody else, they advised if you're scared about it, you're nervous, or you want it, not sure if you should do it yourself, find a mentor. Right. So that brings into the puppy piece. Find a mentor that works kind of like you work, has finished a few dogs like you like to see finished and has some methods that you can be OK with, you know, almost like picking a puppy, finding a, a, a breeder that hunts the way you do, that you jive with and that, you know, you feel comfortable talking to and stuff like that. It, it, I feel it's exactly the same way almost with force fetch. You have to find somebody that you kind of, okay, can feel like you can have that conversation with yeah. them without being judged, without being, you know, um, forced into this one solid method. Because I think you proved more than any other podcast I've ever heard, there's no real true <laughs> die hard method no. of force fetching a dog. No. Right. The, the commonality out of all these episodes is the why and, yeah. the, and the principles of it. Yeah. Each person that came on this series has a different way of doing the actual steps. The yeah. how is different, but the overall goals and steps really aren't different. Right. And so, you know, that was one of the things I was trying to get across. And a few people, you know, they'd be like, what the heck, man? Like this week they're saying do this. Last week they said don't do that. And I'm like. And, and you know, guys, I will tell you that one of the biggest pieces of this. And Nick called me probably within hours of recording with Kyle Huff. And Kyle Huff was <laughs> anti, <laughs> anti toe hitch. Yep. Right. But it works for me. Mm -hmm. Because I look at all the complexity for, especially for a new person, 
to be able to make sure they have their hand right in the collar and get the pinch right and then where the transition to the collar is and stuff and i actually just worked with that'll come a little bit later here in a segment i just worked with a uh puppy client of ours that was that's going through force fetch right now and he was showing me what he was trying to do based off of what his mentor told him to do and he was struggling and, and not struggling in understanding what he needed to do but he was struggling on his timing of, yeah. you know, when to apply, when to release pressure, at what time to give a correction and, and stuff like that. And um, I didn't switch him. I did not say, okay, you've gotten this far in the process. Don't stop and start doing toe hitch because it's easier, you know, for somebody like me. I just said, okay, you have to work on your timing. Yeah. You know, so, you know, the, yeah, it, it's a... It's a daunting task. Force fetch is definitively a daunting task. But again, and you've heard it echoed several times, if not, uh, you know, to a nauseum, this one single training method with your dog or this one single training incidence is going to, one, build a bond that you probably wouldn't normally get. It's going to help the dog understand on how to learn. It's going to really help you in the long run in all your achievable goals when it comes to your, your hunting and your hunting sessions, your recovery of game, your, depending on if you're in the testing and the testing circuit and trying to get, you know, your dog further and whatever qualifications you're trying to get to, this is going to be that one event that's, think of it like almost the cornerstone in building a, a new building or something along those lines. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those, again, you talk about commonality between everybody. Everybody is different, but I don't think you heard one person throughout this whole series say that you can't do this. Nobody said that the average listener can't do this. They can, they've said, admitted that it's difficult. It's a daunting task, especially your first time and not having a clue what's going into it. Get help if you need to. Don't be afraid to ask questions, but not a single one of them did the typical cop out is what I call it. When everybody's like, Oh, you want to do force fetch, send it to a pro trainer. Right. That may be necessary. You know, you, you might be that person that just can't get that finesse and timing down. Be realistic with yourself. Do right by the dog. Don't, don't get it in your head to where, Oh, I'm, I have to do it myself. You don't have to, but if you, you know, the, the benefits that you just, uh, just espoused, like, those are tangible benefits for, for this program. And that's why so many people coming together and while they're all different in their own rights, all are saying the same exact thing. And they all said that you can do this on your own. Yeah. And, and one of the linchpins there is, I think Kyle had said it, is that most dog owners, and we'll say most single family dog owners, um, they've got a definitive emotional tie to that dog. And when it comes to applying any certain amount of pressure or something like that, they they have more of a tendency to back off before they need to, and, and that results in some hurdles and stuff like that. Um, it's one of those things where, um, I don't know, it, it, it's just, you can do it. Um, one of my poster children, and I like to call her out all the time, is Terry Ann. Terry Ann Furtado, you know, she started with her dog, Zara, and she started with a absolutely no pressure and reward-based system for force fetch. Realized she was not getting where she needed to get, but she understood her dog, 
applied a small amount of pressure when needed and they worked through the problems and that dog's qualified for the invitational this year. Yeah. And she force fetched that dog late in life. I mean, she force fetched that dog. I think Zara was almost four years old when she actually went through the formal process with that dog. Well, and I mean, just listen to the, to the last episode I just did with Cameron he had an alter, alternative method too that a lot of people are going to turn their nose up at like, Oh, what you, you know? And you know, he, he flat out said, he was like, this dog didn't need this. This dog needed that. And it's just, you're training the dog in front of you. And you know, that's not to say inconsistency isn't the right word for that. It's really getting to know your dog and what's inspired. I mean, that's what I, that's why I wanted to do an episode with Cameron because when I was talking to him, he was like, Oh yeah, I had one dog. I didn't force fetch. Then I had a dog that I did a full force fetch series with. Then another dog, all I did was hold and carry. Then another, and it's just like, he, he is adapting his program based on his individual dog's needs. And a lot of people can't really fathom that they get stuck in that mindset of pick one method and follow it to the end of the earth. Yeah. And, and that's a, um, I'm going to thump on my chest a little bit, although I really don't need to, cause it wasn't as much me as it was the dog. Um, and I, and the same client I visited last week, um, I had to show him, uh, the same thing as my dog, Sonia, she's never been force fetched formally. She's never gone through the entire process of force fetch. All I did was show her what was expected corrected a little bit of negative behavior, positively and reinforced what I wanted her to do. And she's one of the youngest VCs in the organization. She passed the invitational at two years, two weeks old, you know, and, and that's a lot like your last guest, you know, it was just, you know, she just understood what I was asking. There was a lot of cooperation involved in that dog and, and what she wanted to do and she wanted to please and stuff. And I just fed off of that. Yeah and built a VC out of it, you know, uh, that's not the norm though. No, it's, it's really not the norm. No. And it just goes back to know your dog, yep. pay attention know to your, your dog. dog, know your dog. You, no one else should know your dog better than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but anyway, everybody that's listening to this, hopefully they've listened to the series yep. and we've just spent, you know, 15 minutes or whatever, recapping the entire series. But, <laughs> but I wanted to get the point across that the, the, the theme throughout of all, all right. of it, you know, it's right. just like, obviously each episode had its own topics and, and takeaways from it. But I, I was by the end of it, I was getting a lot of feedback from people catching on to what I was getting at and purposely switching stuff up week to week on them. It wasn't to confuse them. It's just to get it through their skulls yeah. to where it's just like, don't be afraid that you're messing it up. Right. You know, go through it, ask for help if you need it. Hey, the, but, way, the way I put it is, you know, you can run down any one of these methods and be successful. Yes. Any one of them. Um, but again, when we talk about know your dog is don't be scared that if you hit this huge hurdle, you know, and, yeah. and those normally happen when you transition a collar or you try to transition a ground or something and you create some sort of confusion in there and the dog doesn't understand it is to back up and look at another method to communicate to that dog what your, what your intent is. Right. And, and it, not saying switch methods in the middle of force fetch or anything like there's some hard truths we yeah. talked about, you know, hold and carry is, is a hard truth. And I don't think any of the trainers talked about not doing some sort of hold and carry process to begin with. They all called it something different. Right. But yes, that's what they were doing. Right. And then there's a pressure process, 
you know, there's that one point during this where you go from, okay, you're accepting this object in your mouth, you're basically carrying it around and you're not dropping it. Now I'm going to apply some sort of pressure in order for you to start understanding and overlaying the audible command of fetch relates to turning off that pressure by grabbing that object. Okay. And then there's the transition to a remote method, which is usually your transition to e-collar on that point. And then there's usually that from that is transition to moving away from me and picking up objects in different areas and stuff like that. Yeah. And then on to the perfect finish, the, the handoff. The perfect finish. The perfect yeah. finish. This is this is one of those things to where I tell everybody that, that, that I'm around helping or, or I get asked or something. There's a couple different ways that a lot of people like their dogs to finish and hand off. And there's really no right or wrong. In my it's opinion, your, it's, it's user perception. Yes, it, it's 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 completely up to you as the yep. handler what you like, what you think looks good, what's effective for you and your dog. And so, real quick, let's give a quick rundown of the type of handoffs that you'll typically see. You know, it's just like uh, the most common one is probably come around to the heel and you just hand off, right? Yep. So the most common one is uh, probably your swing and finish where the dog comes up on your heel side, comes slightly past you, makes a tight turn, and then comes up to the heel. And, you know, depending on what organization you're either testing in or what your requirements are, either stands there and gives you the whatever the game is or sits and gives you the game. Um, there's also the front presentation which is much more preferred in a lot of your German and requirement in your German to where the dog comes to the directly to the front of you is standing in front of you, facing you, not with its back to you or anything like that, or giving you what they call a side presentation, sitting to the side, but comes to you on the forward position, sits down, kind of looks up at you and presents you the bird. And then there's even some that are what they call kind of, the, it's a swing and finish, but it's kind of where the dog comes on your opposite side of your heel swings around you and then comes up on your heel side whatever that preferred side is and then also presents and finishes either with a standing or sitting presentation so i gotta ask what is the purpose the like an actual hunting purpose that's how we do things around here to the sit and present in front of you the front approach because that that's the thing that loses me in a lot of this stuff is, is like okay but i me personally, I do the last one where they come around to my right, swing to the left, hand it off, and they're perfectly in line for me to send off again, send on another retrieve, whatever. What is the purpose of the front presentation? The, the front presentation kind of comes from a lot of the German and European testing methods. And uh, the thought process behind that and, you know, me talking to some of the older Germans uh, and some of my breeder and stuff like that is, there's a less likely, less likely opportunity should that dog come to the front of you and the game is basically between you and, and the dog. And if it, the game is still alive, that if for some reason the game gets loose from the dog, that the day, game can get away from where you're, where you're standing or where you're hunting or something along those lines. So if you think about it, and I know everybody can't see what I'm doing, if I'm standing right here and the dog presents right here it's much easier to grab the game get the game between you and the dog versus if it's off on your one of your sides 
you know, there is an opportunity for that game that if the dog prematurely releases the game or you fumble the game, you know, trying to get it out of the dog's mouth and it hits the ground, now it's going hard left and away from you guys and has an opportunity to get away. So that's kind of where some of the roots of that front presentation came from. It really came from the German testing systems uh, and their expectations of what these dogs are supposed to do. So... Do you have a personal preference for you? Say that you're not, there's no testing requir- requirements. Which ones are you going with on your handoff? If that dog comes to the front of me, I'm happy. <laughs> it's just one of those things. There's, to me, there's nothing more beautiful than when my dog comes up, stands in front of me, sits down, looks straight up at me with a game in its mouth, and is like, here you go, Dad. Yep. And just, I'm like, out thank you you know and it's just it's just gorgeous yeah i mean it's just you got eye contact with the dog the dog you've built that bond with that dog where they trust you and stuff you know and the dog's looking up at you not shying away one side or the other being a little possessive or anything like that it's just like here you do i did this for you yeah you know which is the ultimate goal why we force fetch them anyway we want this is a cooperation thing i want that dog to work for me and to have that dog go out recover that whatever that game is come up and sit right in front of me and look up at me and just be like eye contact like here you go dad yep here it is you know that it's just it just warms my heart there's one other type of handoff that we didn't really mention that say that you're in a duck blind and you and you have a dog yep. box, and there there are a whole they stick their head through. There is the special delivery. We can call it that. Just the the pizza delivery uh, handoff. But that's that's ultimately your type of handoffs, right? And how you go about each one is different. It's all obedience. It's all little breaking it down into little small compartments, which we're going to get into. Uh, but what what I I really want to talk about now is where. Does the handoff start? Where's the beginning of the training for the handoff for a dog? Foundation obedience, right from the very start. Like right as you're starting to lay those uh, initial foundation blocks and working your healing, your swing and finish. Um, I've seen Mark do a present or Mark Whalen do a presentation talking about this. Like even with his young puppies, he'll lure with a piece of food where the dog comes up on his healing side. He lures it around and makes it heal to his front whenever he brings him something. Um, well, I was even going before that, you know, we talk about force fetch begins just at at the puppy level, getting it up on the table. To me, the handoff begins when the puppy is a puppy and it's teething and mouthing in the house yep. we've talked about it before uh, the well cor- yeah the out yep, yeah the correct way to handle your dog teething or chewing on something or carrying something that it's not supposed to you know a lot of people's first instinct especially on the first dog is to yell at the dog no no and then what are you teaching you're teaching the dog not to pick up stuff instead or shy away if they have it exactly and or you know get greedy you know pull golem on it you know that's their precious and so there there's a you're not training the handoff per se like that's not what you're actually doing you kind of are but you're you're more training that cooperation that if you've got something in your mouth that it's ours yes not yours it's ours Mm-hmm. You know, you've got it for a short time, for a short period of time. I've got it when I need it, you know, and, and that's really what it boils down to. And that's why, you know, uh, if you're going that far back, 
you know, one, <laughs> a lot of my advice to my new puppy owners and stuff like that is if, if your puppy brings you your wife's best pair of Louis Vuitton shoes or Jimmy Choo <laughs> shoes or whatever, you know, the, the point to make the correction for that dog carrying that object was well before that dog ever picked up that object. Yes. And the only thing out of your mouth should be good dog. Thank you for bringing it to me without chewing it up. Exactly. If they bring it to you, it's like good dog, out, release, give, whatever your release command is, and then replace it. And then the time for correction is if they go to try and go pick it back up again. Uh, Commands. We got to touch on that. You just, we're going to keep rolling with that. The common commands, you know, no matter what, it's kind of like the way that you're going to do it. Uh, what we're just talking about on the presentation style it's kind of up to the handler it's a command selection just like everything else pick one but keep be consistent be consistent don't change it up don't do out today don't do their name tomorrow don't do give the next day don't say really you know it's like you see a lot of people to where it's almost like every single day they go out and it's like what's their command going to be and and that's (laughs) i know we're on a release segment but that even goes for the fetch command yeah so nope. how many people, I mean, the retriever guys really like to release the dogs on their name or back. I see guys in NAVDA and other organizations use back all the time for a retrieve. Um, I'm that kiss guy. Keep it simple, stupid. I'm just fetch. Yeah. Go that direction until you find something valuable enough to pick up and bring to me. Oh, I mean, the command selection, we've talked about that before. That goes with everything. That goes back to recall. And, you know, some people use it. We're not even going to go down that rabbit hole. But it is important to, like we already talked about, this starts at a very young age when they're they're showing off, hey, look at what I picked up. I'm carrying it around, you know, whatever. It starts at then. Pick your release command then, and you're you're starting to plant that seed when the puppy yep. is eight, when nine, they, ten weeks hear, old. When they hear, you know, for us, it's out. You know, when they hear out, they're opening their mouth and they're relinquishing whatever they have in it. Yeah, I do. I say give, and what I tell everybody is like, what's the first word that pops up into your mind for out or give? And they'll say it. Go with that. That's your mental default right yep. there. Just go with that. Yep. Don't try and get fancy. Nope. That just, you know, it's like you're not going to impress anybody with some unique, funny, quip, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, I've played around with training dogs in foreign languages and stuff like that. Yeah. It's only cool for a millisecond when you're on a test and you're, you know, a port, you know, house <laughs> and stuff like that. And yeah. And, and then inevitably, my all my dogs are dual So, yeah. I mean. <laughs> yep. So, to go back to kind of where you're at when I when I kind of threw you the, the trick question almost about when we start this and you're you're starting to talk about basic obedience. Essentially, that's all we're talking about on this perfect yep. finish is obedience. Everything else retrieve related is done through your force fetch program. It is. It, With, you're holding ah. carry, your fetch, your your send, everything that's that's different to where the handoff, but except one thing you're doing the handoff every rep that you're doing correct hold and carry fetch whatever so the other thing that you got to remember is is depending on how your dog comes through this force fetch and depending how much pressure you have on this dog and what you're doing force fetch is supposed to build a relationship not break a relationship so if you think about it if you've got a dog that at um you know on on your retrieves 
yes, it runs out, it picks up the object, and then comes back to you, but then completely turns its back to you. Or when you go to reach it for the object, turns its head one way or the other. That's a little bit of that dog saying, I don't like this whole process, right? I don't, I don't like what you're doing to me right now. You know, I'm doing it because you've made me do it. But then you got to kind of really kind of back up and say, okay, where, where was the, where did I institute the fun portion of this process? Because force fetch, and I think all the trainers, not, I didn't hear any of them really hit upon it, but we're really big on, you do your force fetch training, you do your training, you do your regimented, this is what we're going to do. And then immediately following that, we're doing something fun. We're doing something. And Mark talks about the praise all the time and everything. You want to keep this dog's mental status like, okay, this, this kind of sucks, but we're doing it together. This is fun. This yeah. is fun, right? And you're actually building that level of cooperation with the dog. So I see it all the time. And, and you'll see it more come test day, right? Yeah. Where the dog has never done this during training, but now it's completely off collar, off lead, off everything, and comes running to the owner like it's like with a huge amount of enthusiasm and the owner's standing there all proud and then all of a sudden the dog blows past the owner <laughs> 20 yards and runs over to one of the judges and does a couple of circles and stuff like that or you go to reach for the bird or something along those lines and it spits the bird out right before you get to it or turns its head all the way as hard as it can to one side or I've seen this very recently dog's been trained to come to the front of the owner sit down present the bird dog stops 10 yards short yeah i've seen that a lot and that that's one thing that like because of the front presentation i see that probably more often than i see a good clean front presentation yeah as i see the dog stop short and then the owner's like kind of leaning reaching because they don't they can't make a step towards the dog and i'm like that's that that front presentation it gets difficult when you when they just get out of reach and some dogs are really good at getting just out yep. of reach. Yep. And and those are the dogs that honestly are, are, that is a to me that's more of a true you know middle finger. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Than a dog that has that you know like you said your preferred method is dog comes up on the offside of yeah. your heel, swings behind you and comes up on the heel side. I've seen dogs get a little sloppy in that. Yeah. Like make a bigger loop behind you. And for me personally, I feel like I lose control of the dog when it's behind me. Okay. Um, I've seen dogs get sloppy at that, but they still finish. Yeah. Right. So their, their FU is, I'm not going to do this really tight little circle. Yeah. I'm going to go wide way I'm gonna get loose with this and stuff like that. And just being able to recognize yeah. that and identify that and, and, it's it's just a simple correction. That's yeah. all it is, you know. So, really, when you're training this and, and you're focusing on on the the handoff or, or whatever, what I was kind of getting at was with with force fetch. Yeah, every rep you're going to be working on that give. Yep, uh, you're going to be working on that handoff, and essentially you're doing it when the dog gets a quiet mouth. It's got a good grip on it, not too hard, not too soft. And then you're just building that over time, reps, 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 but they're on the table. They're in front of you. You know, it's like, it's not the complete handoff situation. And I think what a lot of people misunderstand when dogs have kind of sloppy handoffs is they're misconstruing that with the force fetch program when really it's an obedience program. Would you say that that's correct? Absolutely. So 
in, in our program, we do, um, and if anybody else wants to lay claim to this, shoot me an email. <laughs> um, but we use a lot of play sports. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's what I call toes to board, heels to board. So if the dog's coming to me directly forward and I'm trying to get that front presentation, then my toes are on the board, touching the board. Right before the dog gets to the board, I'm going to tell the dog place. Dog gets on the board and then naturally usually sits down as an offered behavior. And then I'm going to release or take that that object from them. If I'm looking at a... um, uh, like a healing board placement or a healing receive, then my heels stay to the table. So in other words, for me, I have my dog's heel on the left side. So my left heel, my left ankle is actually touching the board. The dog's going to come up right before it gets to the board. I'm going to give them that place command again. They're going to come up onto the place board. And obviously, generally, they're going to swing and finish right next to you anyway. So what is the purpose of giving the place command right before it gets there? Are you just trying to, over time, build? I'm just trying to reinforce a behavior in the dog and expectation in the dog. So when we're going through force fetch, this dog's got so much in its mind already with, I have to go get this object, I have to hold this object, I have to make sure I don't drop this object. I don't want them to be, I want them to go back to something that they know already. Right, because yeah. we've already done play sport prior to going to force fetch, so it's it's a very easy transition for the dog to understand that, you know, if you think about like what Mark and Martha talked about, or one of the other ones is, I see a lot of people where they say fetch, dog runs out, grabs the object, and then heads off to the north forty. <laughs> that's not a fetching problem; that's a recall problem. Yeah. So if you've already built a good recall in your dog and you're finishing it with a place board anyway, it's just a very natural instinct for that dog. Come back, get on the place board, sit down, give you that object. You know, it's it's a known expectation for the dog, yeah. basically. When you're training and working on something new, it's the unknown. It's It can be uncomfortable for a lot of dogs, especially when they're confused. You redirecting them to do something that they're familiar with and they're they're comfortable with, it's their comfort zone, right? And they know they're going to get rewarded for it. And they know they're going to get rewarded for it. It keeps the momentum up. It keeps their enthusiasm up. It's And it's, you know, Grayson talked about this in the episode I did with him a long time ago about those mental boogers that can develop in these dogs over just so, something subtle. And sometimes just to get their brains off of you know, stressing out like, oh my God, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? Am I doing this? Just give them something that you're tossing a, a just a softball to them. Yep. You're just and, and it's an easy task. I mean, if you get into your groundwork and you start working and you see the dog get sloppy, drop a place board on the ground. That's and if you've done your place board work with the dog, that's a known. You know, the dog knows that they're comfortable with that. They understand what you're asking them to do that. And there's a lot of times often where I'll have dogs um, when we get through this transition of, you know, on on the ground. And part of the toes to board, heels to board is when I'm sending a dog on my initial, like, drive to piles, I'll actually have the dog on the place board on my heel. Just like they would if they were in the field or at a test or, or anything along those lines. So that's where my heels are to the board. I send the dog on the retrieve, and then I rotate to, for me personally, I rotate to toes to board so that I get that good front presentation. Yes. And, you know, again, it's a known. Dog knows place. 
you know, if you've done your groundwork and you've done your place board work, dogs understand the place. So, um, you know, it's just, again, it's, it's, it's elevating that dog's comfort level in an uncomfortable situation. Exactly. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to note that, you know, not everybody's an advocate of, of place boards. You don't have to use place boards. You like place boards because it's a very clear target for the dog. You know, it works off of everything that you've already done. I know you're really place board heavy in everything you do and from steadiness to force fetch. Everything, everything yeah. is, is place board. So if you've already been working that and you have a strong foundation, it's easy. If you don't have a place board, same thing. You're just not doing it with the place board. So maybe instead of saying place, you tell the dog when they're five feet away from you or five yards, heel, yep. because you should already have a good heel foundation. Exactly. Some people, when they do recall, they requ- require that dog to come all the way in at heel. You know, when they're coming back, here. And not only you're getting the dog in the comfort zone, but you're also just getting more reps overall in obedience, right? And so if they do stray, if they do start coming back and you give the here, heel, place, whatever it is, and the dog balks and goes out of it, you're kind of correcting that obedience thing that they're comfortable in that corrections space that they're not necessarily comfortable in in the new area. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think where a lot of people mess up in the force fetch and and the finish on this is they go out with a mindset of training like they're testing, meaning that they send the dog on the retrieve, the dog goes out, picks up the object, and they are absolutely silent until that dog comes back to them. When I send a dog out and the, I'll be silent when that dog's going out, when the minute that dog picks up that object, yeah. yes, good girl, come on here, come on, yeah. Good. I mean, I am praising that dog all the way back until I get that good finish. Because, again, you want to get in that dog's head. You want that to be, You want that dog to come back happy. That reduces all of that avoidance once that dog gets to you, like the head turns or the short stops or something along those lines. And you're training, okay? The only time you got to be quiet is during the, if you're running a test, is doing a test. If you're hunting, think about it. If you just shot your first grouse and your dog goes over there and picks it up, I guarantee you, you're not going to be the quietest person in the entire woods. <laughs> no. You're going to be like, hell yeah, hell, come on, bring that bear here. And yeah. I, I know there are duck hunters out there that are sitting here thinking, I'm like, yeah, but if you're sitting there yelling at your dog, you can flare another fly. How many times have you been in duck blind where everybody hacks at their dog 90% oh, of the time Jimmy anyway? Christmas. Like, you know, go, go pull up Sportsman <laughs> Channel right now. I don't care which duck hunting show you pull up. They are talking to every single one that, of them dogs. That whistle is smoking by yeah. the end of a retreat. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, I get it. I mean, yeah. you know we duck hunt the hell out of our property and stuff like that. But I'm still, when that dog picks up that duck and I got visual on that dog, good girl. Come on. Yeah. Let's go. Come on. You you want you want overwhelming positivity yes. when it comes to that dog picking up the object. And it's just, again, I think it's important for people to understand that, like, when you're talking handoff, if you've done your hold and your carry and the fetch correctly, and you've had that strong obedience command, 
you're not going to have a whole lot of hiccups on the handoff. You shouldn't. You yeah. shouldn't. I, I know every dog's different. Every situation's different. Every dog can pick up just one random booger, like Grayson calls it, uh, while they're out training. Like, you have no idea what brought it upon. But but that's why, again, it goes back to knowing your dog and, yep. and what hiccups it is. Because you'll, it, you'll see it more often that a dog um, – we're that middle finger and that's really what it is it's it's just a true no yeah i went to get it but now i'm standing next to you you're gonna have to work too yeah and generally you see that with dogs that have either had a few hiccups coming through force fetch uh some transitions and we talked about the transition points earlier weren't as clean as they needed to be and so now the dogs like you know that's where you're getting the dogs that spit it out before you ask for it right you get the dogs that actually are, are turning their head way to the side as opposed to giving you the duck you're getting the dogs that are stopping short and stuff like that is that is 99 percent of the time created somewhere earlier in the force fetch process right through whatever action that you're doing with that dog and you're not either making it fun enough or that you're just you've got that dog's mindset like jeez I'm going to go get this because I know I have no other choice. But when I get back to you, <laughs> there's a whole different circumstance. And yeah. that's one reason, honestly, why the um, – in NAVDA, why the duck drag, it's an obedience test. Yeah. It's not a test of nose. Nose isn't even scored in it. It's not a test of nose. It's a strict obedience test because they are dragging a duck out of sight of the handler, and they want to see what that dog's going to do minimal command wise because you have one command and that is when you send that dog away every other retrieve during navda you can give that dog a, an, an attaboy or good dog once the dog picks up the object and starts coming back to you yeah. right the drag is not one of those because they're wanting to see what that dog's going to do without any any influence of the handler other than that initial command they want to see what the dog's going to do with the game out of sight. And we've all talked about that in previous episodes. I've seen eaten ducks, buried ducks, peed on ducks, refusal to pick up, you know, you name it. I've seen dogs stop short 20 yards from the handler and start chewing and pulling the feathers out of the duck short, you know. And these are all dogs that are, quote unquote, been force fetched before. Yeah. But now there's no e-collar on the dog. There's no physical control of the dog. And, oh, by the way, you're not going to give any commands or corrections because you're in a testing environment and every command and correction could be perceived as something that's going to mark you down in a score. Yep. So um, that's where you see it come out. Yeah. And that's why that test is there. The, you, you mentioned a lot of the common hurdles or bad stuff that you can see from dogs. Let's go over some of them and give examples of how each different one is not a force fetch related issue, but more so an obedience okay. deal, right? Probably the most common one you talked about, a dog shying away from handing you the bird or object, whatever, but bumpers. This, I know that there's a, a couple ways. I, I'll let you kind of give your take on it, uh, on kind of where maybe it developed from, how you can fix it. Something that goes a long way. Rachel's got this, you know, Rachel, when I got her, she was, she was 
quote unquote force fetched, right? I, I had to go back and, and redo it, uh, but I got her started. And so she was already quote unquote force fetched. She had that shying away thing with bumpers, birds or whatever. And she, it still shines through from her to this day. But one thing that really kind of rectified that with her is you just don't take it right away. You, she comes up to my side, I pet her, good girl, scratch her underneath the chin. You know, she might even think I'm going for it, but I'm not. Like, I'll just let her hold it for a while. Just get comfortable holding it. And it's okay. And then I'll give. And it's not a big deal. And that, that goes a long way. But what, what's been your experience with dogs that kind of shy away from wanting to hand off objects to you? It, it's been more when the, the pressure is more than what the dog is required to do the object. Or do the task and it's more of like um if you think about the force fetch so like when i start my force fetch and i'm starting with a dog tethered i'm trying to go really really fast so it's it's pressure fetch in out pressure fetch in out pressure fetch in pressure fetch in and what you'll see is that the dogs will actually start turning in anticipation of that pressure like they'll start turning their head, you know, uh, they'll start kind of avoiding trying to get at that bumper, but then we apply so much pressure that the dog has no choice but to get that bumper. That's where you kind of see that start to manifest. And then once we do that transition and we're on the ground and the dogs are picking up objects and bringing them to us and stuff, the dog's actually anticipating almost a correction level of pressure when it's not needed at that level. And, and so just about like you said, the way to get around that is one, make it fun, right? Get back to fun. We're, we're doing this because we want to have a relationship with our dogs, not to beat your dog into the earth. I guarantee you every knowledgeable trainer can force fetch a dog in an immensely amount of short time. <laughs> if okay. they can take the pressure, yeah. If they can take the pressure. And I can tell you it will not be the same dog you dropped off when you got there. Yeah. And not probably in a good way. Like your your once happy bouncy puppy now all of a sudden looks like it, you know, has been enlisted in the Gestapo or something. <laughs> you know. It, it's just just so like you've almost taken the shine out of their eye almost to a certain point. There you point, go. Yeah. You know. Um that's where I see that develop a lot. Yeah. Is is Something through that force fetch process has caused that dog to kind of be like, no, don't don't put your hand near my head or my face or my ear or anything along those lines. I'm just going to turn my head to avoid that pressure. And, and that's where you see that sometimes manifest. What about the dog that does the stop short? The that's s- a true middle finger right the, there. It, yeah, I mean, we already kind of talked about that, but what, what's the remedy? You know, we already talked about on the other one, you, you don't take it right away. What's this one? Do you repeat, like, come here? For and- me, oftentimes it's that correct. It's just a simple correction of no, that's not acceptable. Um, you know, and you're not taking a step forward to take it from no, the dog at all no, because once you, you start move. doing it once, what I've gonna... done a couple of times actually is, is backed up, mm-hmm. yep. taking a half a step or a full step backwards. Turn your back on them. Uh, I've never gotten ahead to get that far yet. Yep. Uh, most of these dogs understand what they're expected to do at that point. By the time they've gotten to that level of the process, they understand the requirement. This is just that truly, <laughs> no, no, you, you come to me, I'll come to you. Right. And you're, you're going to see this with some of your more hard headed dogs or your less cooperative dogs. But I mean, it's just truly that 
I'm going to stop a little short. Yeah. Do what you got to do. <laughs> and and nine times out of 10, that's just going to be a, you know, an audible uh-uh correction. And they're going to pick up, move forward a little bit further. But as soon as they do that, especially in the training process, don't get tight lipped, praise the shit out of them. Right. Because, it, again, it's building that, that that bond, right? It's building – you want a happy retrieve. You don't want a a disgruntled retrieve, if you will. So, you know, as soon as they step up and move over, it, it's a good thing. Good. Okay. I corrected you for stopping short, but, hey, come on. That's that, This is what I want right here. Yes, good dog. You know, so – The drive-by is pretty much the same thing to yeah. where it's like they're coming in – and it can be an avoidance from the pressure like we already talked about. It could be giving the middle finger to where they just, they're being stubborn. They don't want to hand it off to you. If you go walking after that dog or try to intercept it, then that dog's just going to swing wider the next time. It's I just see gonna that be more in a lot of the young, young dogs that have been yes. force-fetched. Yeah. And sometimes that's like almost puppy enthusiasm, right? I went and got it, and now look at me. Look at me. Look what I got, right? And, and so the, the again, the, to me, the remedy is is being very cognizant and having your timing right. And the minute that dog goes an inch past where you want them to be, giving that audible ah, ah and then reinforcing the command, either heal or hear or whatever that may be. And and if you've done your foundation obedience, you'll see them come around. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be pretty quick that they get, oh, okay, this is the acceptable place for me to do this, right? And, um, you know, you have to make it concrete, though. You have to. You have to correct it. You have to correct it with uh, the proper timing, you know, all that piece. Because if you have to maintain a certain standard, because if that dog goes three feet behind you and then you correct it, then they're going to think, oh, I'm allowed three feet. It's almost like the countdown parent. One, yep. two, three. So two you, and a you, half, you, you two have, and three quarters. You have to, <laughs> these dogs, believe it or not, live so much in the moment that, and what they associate from correction to praise and marking behavior is, you know, if you mark that behavior as, oh, I'm allowed three feet, guess what they're going to do? Yep. Three feet. If you're even once or twice kind of sloppy on when they come around, we'll say your offside lead or your offside heel to swing around. If you let them get two or three feet, four feet behind you, don't be surprised when you go to a test and they're completely under control and they make a round past the judges with the object, you know? So, um, yeah, it, it's just being very cognizant of your dog's, um, where they are physically around you and then making that correction exactly when you need to make that correction. Yeah. So, well, uh, or is there, is there anything else, another hurdle or something that we have not addressed on the handoff? Because I know a lot of people are going to be like, man, that just, that was an oversimplification. But as, again, if you've done your foundational obedience, you take your time on the hold and carry yeah. and the force fetch program, that is pretty much how simple it is. And then yeah. it's just maintaining the standard. I think the biggest thing on the handoff thing is I think it's, I won't say ignored, it's overlooked more than anything else. Yeah. It's one of those things where if a, if an individual, especially somebody doing force fetch for the first time, and holy cow, with, with a pressure, I just sent my dog 40 yards to go pick something up. 
And then, you know, you're just happy that the dog drove to a pile and picked up an object and it's coming <laughs> back. Like all of a sudden that whole final part of that retrieve just kind of goes out of that, that mm -hmm. person's head. You know what I mean? And they're yeah. just like, hell yeah. You know, and they're <laughs> grabbing it as a dog moves past them or they're grabbing uh -oh. it as a dog kind of sets for your heart and you're just giving them a shit ton of praise and stuff like that. And it's like. You're actually setting that standard right well, there. Well, that that's a good point. Setting the standard right there, and that for people that are listening, if you go to a NAVDA training day, and this isn't to pick on a NAVDA folk because we are NAVDA folk, right? We yeah. we we, we yeah. love NAVDA folk. I've only but, done four tests in the last three <laughs> weeks. Yeah, but there is unfortunately a, a a common occurrence at some of these training days at NAVDA training days when people are talking to other people in the best light they're trying to help them but they come at it from the perspective of a test all the time so when you're in the field and somebody advises you when the dog brings back like you snag that bird when they're run by you like when, when they're running by you you reach and snag it as you go by because you on a test you don't want to get docked on the handoff if you start doing that in the training field and the reps you're literally setting up that dog to do that and act that way on the test and it's it's a pet peeve of mine when first off any training day people in navda the first thing is well on test day i'm training a hunting dog i'm not training a testing dog so let's get that out of our vocabulary right now i'm training a dog regardless, regardless yeah. if it's testing or hunting or anything like that i'm training a dog yeah. and i'm training a dog to my standard or a standard yeah. that i want to achieve yeah. the tests are great it gives everybody objectives but if the first thing out of your mouth when you're helping somebody is well on test day unless they ask how something is perceived on test day or how it's run on test day you helping somebody else out should never start with well on test day or when the judges see this we don't care about that we're not here about that. We're trying to train these dogs effectively and efficiently, and not to pass honesty, a test. If you're if you're saying that, you're probably looking for a shortcut anyway. Exactly. Train train to a standard. Train train to a requirement, and then you don't have to worry about what happens on test day. Exactly. Right. But we do have some questions for you now. Oh, jeez! I told you last time. No surprise questions without me reading them first, and no, now that's you're no hitting fun. me up again. That's no fun. <laughs> again, we didn't get that many of them, so the, these should be pretty quick, right? I will do my best. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Uh, this one came from Travis Dixon, Patreon. Okay. All right. Thank you uh, for your patronage. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for uh, beating me to that punch there. Uh, he says, uh, let's see, your guess and most of the books and videos out there of people starting with the ear pinch or the toe hitch and then overlaying them with the uh, e-collar. Why not just start with the e-collar? Wouldn't it eliminate a step and perhaps leave less of a chance for confusion in the dog's behalf? I did tell him that we did touch on this with Kyle Huff on, a, Kyle, Kyle Huff on his episode, but I, I will wanted to get your perspective on it too because again everybody's perspective is different on this and i, I was kind of interested to hear what your take so on that would he, be here is and i'm gonna pick out i'm not gonna name names if he's listening he'll know exactly who he is uh puppy client recently uh working with him and he started the force fetch process with his dog and um he had the dog doing great and then somebody told him, well, you have to ramp up now to proof it, ramp up your collar pressure and force that dog to go get that object. Here's the problem with that. 
most of these dogs that are being bred these days and stuff like that, if you ramp up that pressure or if you're applying pressure without showing what that showing that dog what the expectation is, that dog's going to take that pressure as more of a correction that it's doing something wrong than it is doing something right. Yeah. If that makes sense. So now you're actually creating a hurdle right from the start. Okay. We're huge on showing our dogs and especially in our program. Okay. What is the expectation first? What, what, what am I asking you to do? And then once I can get you to fairly understand what you're, what I'm asking you to do, then we're going to kind of make sure you're going to do it. We're going to kind of apply a little pressure and you're going to turn that pressure off by doing that skill I just taught you. Okay. So going right to the e-collar. Okay. Right to the e-collar. Um, sometimes that dog does not correlate that pressure or that stimulus from the e-collar to I need to open my mouth and grab that object. Right. You can make it. You can, you can connect those dots. Um, something I've started using recently Anybody that's ever been, well, I'll say my age group, right? <laughs> we all remember, we all remember the, uh, the coloring books or the, the connect the dot books, right? You flip a page and there's, you know, 30 or 40 dots and you connect them in sequential order, you know, one, two, three, four, five, and yeah. then you got a fish, right? <laughs> yeah. So think of it as you go to the store and you buy this coloring book and now every picture is a fish but those numbered dots are in different places. Okay. So now the end goal is the same. We want the dog to go get the object and bring it back. Okay. But if that picture had the one up by its nose and the two all the way by its tail, think about drawing that line and how much you're missing in between there. Right. Is the tail a 12 o'clock tail or no? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that and that's the way I correlate it to everybody is yeah. that those dots have to be in some sort of sequential order. Yeah. Right. Your sequence has to be in some sort of sequential order. And and I understand what he's saying by well, what if I just start with a really low pressure collar and do this and this and this? Yeah. You can do that. Even Kyle said you can do that, but don't start at the highest level of that what that collar can do, or even even middle, I would start at like the very, and, very and lowest. I think that, and this may may or may not be fair with kind of what Travis is referring to. I can't remember the, the name of the method that, that is the most popular one. I think, if I get this wrong, don't shoot me, but I think it's Perfection Kennels. Does that sound right to it you? It sounds right, yeah. All right. Uh, not 100% familiar with their program. I could even have the name wrong. You know me in names. Yep. I'm, not the, I'm not the greatest at names. Uh but that's where my hesitancy f around starting with the e-collar comes from is I've heard too many people talk about like, oh, the dog's not reacting or opening its mouth. Keep cranking it up. Right. Keep cranking it up. Keep cranking it up. And to your point, what Kyle said on his episode was, yes, you can get through it. A lot of dogs can come out the other end of that, right? Especially if you know what you're doing and you're connecting the dots. But you are essentially, if you have a stubborn dog, and we've all seen those dogs to where some <laughs> Don, dogs... Don Tyndall. <laughs> yep. And <laughs> it, some dogs 
will they'll open the they'll offer the action you know at three low maybe other dogs seven high before they even start like showing it you know every dog's different worst case scenarios they're not correlating that to any yes like reaction they're just shutting down they just kind of just sitting there pooping razor blades shivering tight-lipped and then you're like okay where do i go from here yeah and right. and so this this may or may not be a fair comparison. I, I I think that the person that really knows their way around an e-collar can probably finesse this a little bit better than the average person. But again, we're talking about the average person doing yeah. force fetch. I would not I, recommend it. Exactly. I think the average person sucks at using an e-collar in general. You know, it, that they just do. I sucked at it. You probably sucked at it the first uh, number of times you used it. 50 or 60 too. dogs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so like... It's hard enough for the average person to figure out the e-collar on using it on recall, let alone force fetch, something that's so already intensive for these dogs. It's, uh, I don't know, to me, it, it just seems like it's more approachable for the average person using their hands whether it's ear pinch, toe hitch, whatever, or even the non pressure method, which we've already kind of talked about that kind of paints you in a corner. We've been down that it's, can you do it? Yes. I wouldn't advise it for somebody that really doesn't know their dog and really doesn't know their way around an e-collar. Yeah. It, you can, and here's the trick of it, Travis, is that if you do some of the, this initial work, and I know Kyle hit on it. Um, I, I do it. In fact, I actually, one guy asked me, he's like, holy cow, you go to the collar that fast? And I was like, yes. If you can just do some of the preliminary work with the hold and carry and then either the toe hitch or the ear pinch, it makes that transition to collar so much faster. Like the dog just gets it. You know what I mean? The dog understands that the way I'm going to turn off whatever this discomfort or this pressure is or whatever this is, is by grabbing that object. Your your leaps and bounds ahead of whether then somebody that's just going to set a dog on a collar, hold an object in front of his mouth, and then apply pressure with the collar and say fetch, yeah. right? So, uh, I mean, generally most dogs I'm transitioning the collar if their mindset is right. Uh, most dogs I'm transitioning the collar within a week, week and a half. Yeah, I I think it's you know this is kind of semantics, but I've kind of told a few people this. I'm like stop thinking of it as we're trying to teach the dog that it feels bad until they get some a bumper in their mouth, and start trying to figure out how to get the dog to learn that it feels good to get the bumper yes. in its mouth. Yeah, it's a good it's, thing. It's a great thing. It's like yes, the pressure's getting shut off, so it feels good because the pressure shut off. But it's also you're getting high reward. Yeah, and, high praise. And if you start off with that e collar. You're just going, you're extending that lesson because it's like a lot of dogs, not every dog again, but some dogs, you have to crank it so high up to where it feels really, really freaking bad until they get that bumper in the mouth. You've got a dog that you start to see (laughs) avoiding the table. You see them avoiding everything. And yeah, it it works for some people. It It does. does, It it does. But I mean, it's just, it's the right dog. That's all I got to say. You've got to have a dog that's just so wrapped up wound up that it can't focus on anything and that's that's like all of a sudden that grabs its attention and they're like oh shoot okay i need to pay attention now so we had a few people 
pretty much give the same exact question, and, okay. and we've covered this on the force fetch one, but this one, this should be a quick one. Uh, but this one, uh, the Will Ellis, Brady, Scherner, Ferris State University, three three or four different people. What age do you start? How old should a dog be before you start the program? And is it okay to do before their first hunting season? Hmm. There's there's multiple questions in that one. Yeah. Okay. So how old are they? For, that's so, a quick one. Let's let's knock that one out. The, the age on the force fetch. If you're talking about the formal force fetch process, not all the foundational stuff we do, like putting your hand in the dog's mouth, and you know the stuff we were talking about with puppies. You're and, on. You're uh, on the table. Like, you're doing hold and yeah, carry into pressure. I'm, yeah. What I like to do is I, I really like a dog that's between ten months to a year and a half old, depending on what that dog's demeanor is and and how how they've come through the rest of the obedience training and stuff like that 10 months to a year and a half old it it just seems to work so much better like the the dog correlates what you're asking it to do it hasn't built it hasn't had time to kind of build in that expectation level with you or i'll even say that bonding level with you you know you take a four-year-old dog that's been with you for four years and you've pretty much set what that dog's expectations are. And now all of a sudden you're going to put it on a table and say, fetch (laughs) with with some sort of pressure behind it. And the dogs sometimes look at you like, what, what are we doing now? Hold on a second. Um, I I like that 10 months to a year and a half old, not saying you couldn't do a year and eight months or something along those lines. You got to really look at the maturity level of your dog and what, what it can do and what it can handle. That's what I was about to say. It's a balancing act. You're balancing the the physical maturity, which that's the easy part to tell is the dog's adult teeth in good to go on force fetch, but balancing that with the mental aspect, but you can't wait too long. If you're sitting there waiting for that dog, that, that crazy bouncing off the wall a dog to kind of mature it and, might, and might never. it might it might never right. but you know what might actually help the dog mature is force fetch, force fetch. so yep. it, it goes back to knowing your dog and understanding when it's time to take that next step you know i think mark whalen says that he like he's one of the very first steps he does after a dog has completed natural ability is force fetch yeah. and i think that's a pretty good rule of thumb honestly because because Natural ability, you're not putting a lot of pressure on the dog. You're just you're you're correcting some negative behavior. You're fostering some natural instincts. You're you're going through some of your basic obedience and stuff like that. And once your natural ability test is done or some of your younger stuff is done, okay, it's it's literally like you said, okay, now it's time to be a big dog. Yeah. Right. Now it's time to learn big dog stuff. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's it's now time to learn what your purpose in life is and force fetch you know we've talked about it earlier it's one of the very first and most effective ways to get a dog to understand how to learn what your rules are everything up before that is pretty much just intro and exposure and and some repetitions for some of the foundational obedience obviously but they're they're not learning the pressure on what brings the pressure what turns it off and all that stuff uh, the second part of that question from Brady was, is it okay to do before the first hunting season? I'll let you take it, then I'll give you my thoughts on it. I'd say no. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want, my dog on its first hunting season, and it goes back to that age time frame. So, I mean, my dog on that first hunting season, I want to be absolutely as positive as possible. Yeah. I just want that dog to 
learn to expand search, learn what wild birds do, um, be happy in their job. You know, that, you, that you already piece, said but, my key takeaway from this. And, and I, I can't tell you how many times I explain this to people. They get these dogs and they're so amped up to go get force fetch done or get a retriever out of this and they rush it so much to where i want it i want it done by labor day i want i want the dove hunter these dogs you you can't go upland hunting on with these dogs if they don't hunt right you can hunt a dog that has search and desire and drive with no retrieve. You can't upland hunt with a dog that doesn't hunt but will retrieve. That's the last piece of this. That's the last piece of the puzzle when you're talking about upland hunting. I want the first hunting season exactly what you just said, expanding the search, being excited to go find birds. That first hunting season, if they retrieve, great. It's icing on the cake, but th there's no formalization. There's no expectation. I want them to go find birds and interact with birds. I'm going to take a note out of Bob's book, and I'm going to quote the guy that kind of got me started in this whole thing, Tony Woolley. Uh, and when I asked about the forest fetch process, because he had some amazing GSPs that worked preserve work and stuff like that. And I was doing a lot of research at the time. And I asked him about, did you force fetch your dogs? He says, no, they're natural retrievers. I said, oh, I said, that's odd. And he goes, but force fetch, if you want a dog that will know that you always go get something, you know, that's what you want to do. Yeah. He said, but um, at the end of the day, he goes, he goes, at the end of the day, generally I can walk around, kick up birds. At the end of the day, I can, if I shoot one, I can probably walk over there and pick it up yeah. without too many problems. The one thing I have not been able to do in 40 years and I've tried is smell them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> smell them in the field. Well, and it's, it's just getting it back in perspective. It's like, yeah, if you had, if you had a lab or a golden retriever or, or just any of those typical retriever breeds and you got the dog to dove hunt and duck hunt, yeah, I can understand wanting to focus in on retrieving because that's 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 your goal of I, I still wouldn't do it in the first season hey, you know probably would, not you hey. know what i would work on in the first season your steadiness, steadiness and place and place. And, yep. and, and and so but like just putting it in perspective i can kind of see why somebody on that may want to do it before their first season if you're doing a, doing a versatile dog i'm not foregoing hunting to force fetch my dog i did not get my dog for that I, I didn't get the dog as as a testament to passing a test. I got it to hunt. I'm going hunting with my dog. I'm going to go find birds with my dog. I'm going to worry about force fetch. I'm going to worry about steadiness training in the training season, in the off season. Now, that doesn't mean that whatever you train in the off season, you let lapse right. during hunting season. That that defeats the whole purpose of training the dog oh, in the off yeah. season. But, you know, people, I think, just need to slow down. If you're talking about a dog under a year old and hunting season comes, you're not going to not go hunting to do force fetch in the garage, right? It's like, yeah. go have fun with your dog. That's why you got the dog. Go hunt. I, I, a lot of old, especially lab guys would say, don't even start any training until after that dog's a year, year and a half old. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Delmar Smith's book, that's what he, he never touched a dog until it was a year. I mean, that's, yeah. it, it's, there's a lot of people that do that. I mean, I'm not going to go that far because it's like, you know, it, that, that's lose, a whole year. Yeah. To me, you lose a lot. Yeah. And I, I think mean, now with some modern studies and modern understanding of how dogs think and how much they develop in that first year and stuff like that, I think 
a lot of that's gone to the wayside. Yeah. You know. Well, my deal is if you get 10 good hunting seasons out of your dog and Be you happy. forego a year before Be you happy. start working with them, that's 10% of the dog's hunting career that yeah. you just set on. Uh, next question. I misspoke on Will Ellis. He didn't ask the age thing. Uh, I thought he was one of them. I had a list of them and it was this, how old, how old, how old, uh, Will wants to know, is there any other advice or techniques to stop the chopping outside of the two brush, uh, end pieces glued together? Like Mark was talking about. I know of a bunch of old school methods that are not advisable. Yeah. There's a lot of old school <laughs> methods utilizing, game and nails and pins and everything else that you gotta so usually you gotta look at what started the chomping in to begin with yeah. okay and where i see a lot of chomping start to come in is actually when the dog is so pressured and so frustrated that's their middle finger i thought you were gonna say squeaky toys as a puppy <laughs> uh, you know what's crazy is oh i'm gonna get freaking so many emails and chest. Our, all of our dogs have squeaky toys. Yeah. You've been to my house. Yep. All of our puppies get squeaky toys, right? It's just a it's just a correction of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Yep. And, and these not, dogs aren't that dumb that they can't figure no, out the difference. They, if you really, absolutely I just hate squeaky toys, so they're not getting squeaky toys. And, uh, well, part of it becomes is, you know, there's nothing wrong with a squeaky toy, but just have to correct like, okay, no, that's not acceptable. But for for me personally, the brush method is, is pretty tried and true. Um, I've known some people to start using, um, some harder objects, like some tougher, harder yeah. objects on the dog and then correcting, you know, giving them a, 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 or a no when they go to try and chomp and stuff like that. But ultimately, if you can get an object that corrects the dog itself yeah. without having the dog, you know, hearing an audible from you or getting a physical correction from you all the better it's the same thing that when we talk about steadiness we want the bird to teach the dog in this scenario we kind of want the bumper to teach the dog that doesn't mean that we're going to go old school and drive a bunch of nail spikes through a tennis ball and give it to them or any of that junk that they used to do i mean there was one guy that I, I he was telling me that what he does is he used to go to PetSmart, you know that sour apple bitter spray or whatever he used to take that and inject that underneath the skin of a bird and yeah and then that way when the dog broke the skin of the bird it would get that sour apple deal and, and i asked him i'm like well how many dogs have you just made shy away from birds altogether you know there are some dogs <laughs> that don't come through you know if there's something like that think about think this stuff so through the one thing that yeah one thing that mark was talking about is if he's got a hard hard mouth dog he goes to the brush and and for me, um, yes, I go to the brush, but then I change it up really quick. So it'll be, you know, if you, you're hard mouth, and whether you're hard mouth or not, you know, it'll be brush, bird, brush, bird, 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 brush, bird, brush. You know, so I want to keep that dog guessing. You know what I mean? I don't want that dog to think that either every time it gets something it's going to be hard and i got to be really really soft because you want you do want to promote a good grip yeah. we've all seen it at certain tests and stuff like that where the dog goes out picks up a duck or something like that and it's literally got it by the barely end of a wing yeah or just One by the feather. head right yeah. just by the head or something like that so you don't want to create such a negative experience that the dog has such a soft mouth or barely wants to grip that 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 object so it, change it up 
right? Yeah. Keep that dog guessing, right? I've got to have enough grip to hold on to this, but not so much that I get a little something in the top of my roof of my mouth, <laughs> you know? Well, and there's a, just like we talk about training objects, there's a variety of brushes out there too. You can yep. take the two that Mark was talking about, glue them together, and you have that, that uh, wire bristle type brush. I've got three of them. I've got a yeah. very soft bristled one. I've got a medium bristle, and then I've got yeah. one you could literally scrub lava off of a freaking volcano <laughs> with. Well, yeah. one so. that I've used in the past is, uh, I'm not, I'm sorry guys, I'm not a brush expert here, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you go into Walgreens or, or wherever and you just go down the brush aisle and they have all kinds of crazy looking brushes. Like, you know, you can get bristles, you can get the little plastic pegs or whatever yeah. that's already a full circle. You don't have to glue anything together. Yeah. You have it there. The, you go down the beauty aisle of Walmart. There's yeah. a bunch of different brushes in they're not hard. No. They're, it's not hard on the dog's mouth, but it's, Uncomfortable. like you said, a big round brush. It's got like, you know, fairly stiff bristles on it. Yeah. They're not going to want to crunch that yeah. and crush it, right? They're going to yep. be like, oh, shit. All right. I got to hold this like this. Yep. So. So, conversely, the, the last question that we have is the opposite of that. Instead of hard mouth, it's soft mouth. And you're just kind of talking about changing that up. But when using force fetch and instead of using hold and fetch, you only trained fetch, right? Yep. So there's no hold command that he, he's worked. He doesn't have that That's, in his arsenal. All right. That sounds just like about me. All okay. right. So the dog is too loose holding objects. How do you correct that? How do you get them to actually hold the objects with more intensity? So usually you see that start to manifest around your hold and carry. Yeah. Like if you're not really solid or correct in your hold and carry portion of, of your training, that's where you kind of see that. And if you're not using, you know, my hold and carry is fairly abbreviated to like Mark Whalen's hold and carry, right? I just want to see the dog hold and carry a jute, I want to see the dog hold and carry a PVC pipe. I want to see the dog hold and carry a bumper. I want to see him hold and carry a dock, and I want to see him hold and carry a bird. Yeah. Okay. If I can get him to do that, then we're going to the table and we're starting our pressure sequence with you know toe hitch, and then then I'll get a little more elaborate in my in my objects and stuff. But that's generally where you kind of see that because if if you're not correcting that hold what that dog, how that dog is supposed to hold that object. And sometimes people, and this is also where you'll see dogs that carry a bumper like a cigar or a cigarette, right? Grab it by the very end yeah. or grab it by the rope or grab a docking by the head and the neck. You know, that's where you'll see that start to manifest is, oh, well, that's acceptable. At least you have it, right? I'll actually replace that object in the dog's mouth. I'll actually, during the hold and carry as the dog's carrying it, you know, I may, I'm not doing anything crazy. I'm not trying to slap it out of its face, but I'll, I'll kind of tap on either side a little bit, you know, make sure the dog's got a good grip on it. Um, I'll make, you know, just like Mark, I'll make that dog jump down and up onto the table and stuff, which requires that, that good grip on that object, right? Um, you'll see a lot of dogs, especially if they don't understand the pressure, just go and put their mouth around an object, right? Not necessarily pick it up or just basically sit there with their top jaw half open, but it's resting on their bottom canines, you know. That's where you're, you've created a hurdle somewhere. You haven't shown that dog what the expectation is. Yeah. So that, that's where I would go with that. So 
that pretty much wraps up the questions that I got. That's uh, it. That, that's pretty much it. I told you I, we didn't get you a lot. A, and you had a heck of a freaking well, force fetch series. We man. had a few more, but they're all the same type of questions. How do you fix hard mouth? How do you fix soft mouth? And how old do you want them to be before you start? So we pretty much covered all the questions that yep. that we had lingering lingering around. But again, if you're listening to this and you have questions we have not uh, not addressed. By all means, reach out to us and let reach us know out, because it, you I'll know let, if, I'll let Nick if he wants to put my email at the or <laughs> our Instagram at the bottom of the show notes. You know, reach out to me. Yeah, we'll get you hooked up. I mean, it, you know, not just Scott, but anybody on any of these topics and and issues or or whatever. Let us know your question. Maybe I can help. Maybe Scott can help. Maybe if there's enough questions, it, it warrants a Zoom room or something like yep. that. To where, you know, we put it out there, we asked for questions, and we got some, but not not a whole lot of variance between the type of questions, well, right? I, I, it's like I told Nick earlier, I said, where you're going to see all these questions starting to pop up is, you know, 60 days from now, as people start, yeah. to, start to go through they this force going. fetch process, and they're like, oh, shoot, why is my dog doing this? <laughs> we why may have to come this? back and revisit. Yeah, we may have to have a Zoom meeting, a Zoom room meeting somewhere around end of May or so. Yep. We're not going to do an outro on this episode. Me and you, we've gone long enough on this. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and start the housekeeping that we normally do in the outro real quick. Sounds good. Uh, GDIY training camp. Actually, I'll let you start the house camp, or housekeeping on this. You go ahead and give your sales pitch for the GDIY training camp I'll tell you up. what, guys. Um, no one else that I know of, um, I take that back. There's one organization that brought together a bunch of ladies here recently, which ought to have a lot of credit because the ladies um, within NAVDA and the organization have been very successful. Nobody else that I know of is pulling together pro trainers within NAVDA and other organizations all into one weekend or seminar to yeah. talk about how to train your dogs and then also bring your dogs so that we can help you with hurdles and stuff like that. Last year's event, I, I'll tell you, I still to this day have people show up at either a training day or a test or, you know, I tested in foothills probably about a week ago. People are still talking about last year's, you know, training camp and, and what they learned and stuff like that. Uh, had a guy just last week actually at the at the test applied stuff that we did and was running his dog for the first time in utility uh, as a UPT dog. He never thought he would have gotten his dog there by himself. You know, it just swelled my heart a little bit. I didn't <laughs> I didn't shed a tear, but I mean it, it was just, it just made you really feel good. But just we're all there to help. We're donating our time. You know, there's, there is a little bit of cost associated with it as far as being able to run the event, but that's exactly what those costs are going for is to help run the event and, and, and compensate for some of the stuff that we're doing out there. Um, but you know, all of us, all three of us, I think are more than excited. You know, Kylie, Kylie's really excited about going up there. I know Mark and Martha are really excited about hosting it. I know Kyle Huff, you know, he didn't even hesitate. I mean, this is, you know, I understand it's Mother's Day weekend, man. <laughs> I get it. But like, gas is $20 a gallon. Yeah, yeah gas <laughs> is, you know, worth more than a gold bar right now. But I mean, didn't even hesitate. Yeah. Nobody even hesitated to say, yep, let's go do, let's go help these guys and get their dogs straight. Yeah. No, it, it, it's something completely different. And like you said, I think you're, you're talking about, I think it's the, the bird dog babe. 
uh, event coming up, Courtney, which I, I've never spoken to, to her. I don't know her personally, but I know that she puts up a hell of a lot of content and, and she takes pride in what she does. So, you know, if you, if you got a woman, female in the house that is really into gun dogs, you know, we do the GDI wives and, and everything, yep. but, you know, go check out her stuff because again, I don't know her, you know, I can't vouch for her personally no, or you, anything like you that. Look but at the, you look at the lineup that she's got exactly. as far as girls or ladies, I'll, I won't say girls, I don't want to get any emails, <laughs> ladies. Um, the ladies she's got lined up to go do that, they're it's gonna be it's gonna be a good event. and successful. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie to you, I'm a little intimidated. <laughs> I looked at it, I was like, really? Yeah. All all of them together? Yeah. I'm like, wow, that, that's that's gonna be a hell of an event. I, I kind of wish that I could I could make that, but yeah, guys, uh, go check that out for sure. Especially if you got a a, a girlfriend, wife, or or whoever that that would be interested in bird dogs, you know, go go send her to go send them to Courtney's way because I'm. I mean, it's just more information. You know, we talk about it all the time. This is not a competition for us. It's like we just want quality information and people that love this stuff to to be passionate about it and share it. But uh, yeah, I mean, the training camp we're pretty. I mean, we're we're almost full. Like it's 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 pretty much there. I got a hold I, on. How many Patreon slots we got left? Uh, I'd have to go look. I can't. I can't even remember Two? off the top of my head. Yeah, something like that. Two, three, something I'll you, like that. I'll tell you what I'll do for this episode if it happens in the next week. RGK will split one of the Patreon podcasts <laughs> if somebody signs up this week. So, Patreon member, if you want to go, then Scott's offering to, to split that with you. That's a nice little discount for you. They already get a discount for being Patreon members, and then they're going to get the, the RGK discount. We're pretty much full. Uh, it, it's it's right there. I got a couple people kind of loosey goosey on it to where they're like, oh, I want to go, but they can't make up their mind. Uh, so if you want in, then you need to hit me up as soon as possible. And even if you can't get in with your dog, we have observer slots. We we have four or five observers already going yeah, without their I'll dog. I'll tell you right so. now, if you're an RGK puppy owner and you're not going to this. You'll hear from me later. <laughs> <laughs> There's a threat. There's a threat. Um, so, yeah, that camp, that's knocked out. Um, review of the week. We've been getting a lot of really good reviews here lately. Like, I've heard. I mean, dude. I'll tell you, there was one about two weeks ago. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> it, the one, that guy wrote a, like a oh, the dissertation. Novel? Yeah. yeah. Yep. That was, yeah. I mean, we're getting some, people are stepping up their game on the reviews. I so. appreciate it. So, uh, because Nick, if you guys don't know, Nick and, uh, Harold try and share the stuff with me on occasion and stuff. And it just, it just helps. It validates that we're doing something and we're actually helping people guys. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I, I want to start like the best review competition with the listeners who can leave Ooh, the best let's do review that end of year. Let's do that like around November, December and do like something. a Christmas giveaway or something like that. But it'll review. start now. Like anybody that's left a review already now yep. this year, like yep. it, but all, by all means, like get creative on this stuff because there's some really good ones. But anyway, uh, I'll get to reading on this one. This one is from J till 11 on March 15th. Dog training simplified. A great resource for any level of dog trainer. Great guests with a wealth of knowledge and a host that can bring it back to an amateur level. I really enjoy the end segment that is a roundtable-like discussion of key takeaways of the episode. 
Oh, very nice. So the outro. So a pretty good. Uh, huge. Pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty good little review there. Specifics of what they like and, and stuff like that. That's what we're talking about. We want the feedback. Even if you have some bad feedback or suggestions, by all means, hit it to That's us. That's how we hit get us. better. And so, Jay Till, if you're listening to this, hit us up. I'll be happy to shoot you a hat or sticker in the mail. Uh, but, yeah, guys, leave us rating and review. Uh, whatever podcast platform that you use, if you're using one that doesn't leave a review, Facebook lets you leave a review and, yep. and a rating and all, and all that stuff. Just take it five stars. Uh, tell us what you like about it. If you have some constructive criticism, ideas, guest suggestions, topics, we get plenty of them. We've been getting a lot of really good ones here lately. Uh, shoot them to us. Uh, you can do social media under Gundog Yourself or Gundog Yourself at gmail.com. I think that may be all the housekeeping that we have this week. If we do a review of the year, mm-hmm. the winner of the year, what do you think about RGK giving away a duck hunt? So a review of the year will be an RGK duck hunt. Yep. Two person, one night in a lodge. Okay. Fully guided. I'm I'm thinking there might be a few biters on that one. Yeah, so there we go, guys. We're going to work on this, but, uh, you know, come up with some good reviews because I think that we can come up some with some really good ones and then uh, maybe get you down to North Carolina for a duck hunt in uh, this, this upcoming season. Might happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, it's time for a refill. We've gone on long enough. Thanks for everybody tuning in and listening. Thanks, guys. Hope, hope everybody got something out of this Force Fetch series. And don't worry, I got plenty of content and ideas coming your way for what's next after this because people have already been hitting me up. After a Force Fetch series that went two months, what are you doing after that? Well, tune in and find out, right? Yeah. I think we got, what, steadiness coming in? Uh, at some point, we're going to have to touch on some steadiness. Probably. <laughs> Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.